Well, grace, <clears throat> peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Miraculous, right? There, there are as many soldiers and people from the Midianites just like the sands on a seashore. They, they can't be counted, right? I mean, they had so many goats. They had so many camels. They had such flocks. They had such amount massed all around the Israelites, soldier upon soldier. All of a sudden, God says, wait a minute, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to deliver you. Don't worry about all of this. And the miracle is, is God, it's not like God enlivens all of the Israelites. Maybe they numbered in the hundreds of thousands. Maybe they were up to a million people in population. And God, all of a sudden, gives them each of a sword and makes them mighty warriors. Then they slaughter all of the Midianites. I mean, that would be an incredible story. But that's not how God chooses to work. You see, when God works the miraculous, he takes the things that we are not expecting. He takes the least of the people that you might think. And he uses them to make such an impact into the lives of the people around you. Into the lives of our community. Into the lives of our church. That God's name is truly blessed. Truly. It just takes a little bit of humility to understand this is God's working. This is God's plan. Our story, actually, this morning starts back in chapter 6, and I'm going to be referring there. If, you, if you've got your Bible with you, your phone out, I'm, I'm going to hit some of chapter 6. None of the words are going to be up on the screen this morning. So, so I just want you to listen to the story, because this truly is miraculous. God delivers his people from an unlikely source. Let me back up. The nation of Israel has left slavery in Egypt. And there, God released them from the hand of Pharaoh and took them out into the wilderness. There, God provided for them. Their shoes did not wear out. Their clothing did not wear out. God provided manna and quail and water each and every day. There was not a time at all where the nation of Israel was wanting for anything. He waited until that generation that had exited out of Egypt died, and the next generation took over the nation of Israel. When they crossed west over the Jordan River into the promised land, God said, I'll give you a place to live. I'll give you a land flowing with milk and honey. <clears throat> you will have blessing upon blessing. Only do this. Worship only me. Don't worship the God of the nations that are surrounding you. Don't worship the God of the nations of which you are going to overtake. Don't do what they do. Do what I'm telling you to do. Incline your heart towards me. Worship me, love me, honor me, obey me. Well, the book of Judges tells us how the nation reacted. In chapter 6, we hear, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. The story of the book of Judges is that God's nation, Israel, <clears throat> in the promised land, is supposed to be receiving blessing upon blessing. But it says every so few chapters, 
But every man did what he thought was right in his own sight and did his own thing. Here's the nation of Israel. They have left God behind. They have gone their own way. In fact, they are worshiping the god Baal. And Gideon's dad, his own father, has an altar and an Asherah pole up on the high places. It's even down into the individual households that the nation of Israel have decided to go and do their own thing. Isn't it amazing that what happens with one generation leads the next generation? right? Parents, you know this. Your kids are a reflection of their grandparents. No, you, (laughs) right? I mean, that's how we almost, that's how we almost want to blame this. We almost want to say, well, our children, well, they're, they're responsible for themselves. Well, you're just like your grandmother. You're just like your grandfather. You know, no, they're just like you, dad. They see you, they hear you, they mimic you. And what you do gets passed on to the next generation. It just absolutely does. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. I want you to understand this. That when God brought down this calamity of the Midianites, what he's basically saying is, you went your own way. You've gone and worshipped another god. And I'm telling you, for seven years, which means the perfect amount of time, it's literally seven, but it's the right amount of time. It's a holy number. God says, you will receive what's coming to you. Now, this fertile plain is great. It's great for raising cattle. It's great for raising sheep. It is great for having an abundance of food. What it is not great for is protecting any of it. And so when the Midianites came into the plain, the fertile ground west of the Jordan, they had no natural defenses. And they took cattle and crops, and they killed families. And so, as I just read there in verse 2, what the Israelites did was they started to to go out into the mountains. And they would go and, and try to protect their flocks and protect their crops and protect their families. And and they were no longer together as a nation. They were kind of off on their own, doing their own thing. Isn't it amazing what happens today when Christians don't meet together? When they go off and they do their own thing? Isn't it amazing how easy it is to pick them apart? So the nation of Israel is reaping what is due them because God says, you have worshipped the Baals. You have worshipped other gods. You have not loved me with your whole heart, your whole mind, your body, or your soul. You have gone your own way, and you are now getting what you deserve. But that's not the end of the story. You see, no matter what, when God brings rebuke into your life, I want you to know this. It is not going to last forever, assuming that you turn back. And God has a plan to turn you back. He does. Sometimes he he sends a a pastor to preach something you don't want to hear. Sometimes it's your mom who calls you up and says, I was reading this wonderful devotion this morning, and I just thought of you. And you're like, great, thanks, mom. Sometimes it's a neighbor. Sometimes it's a person you don't even think is a godly person, and they say something, and you're just like, oh, I needed to hear that. That encourages me. 
Maybe it's a, a morning devotion. Maybe it's time uh, where you're listening to Christian music and, and that song truly, it just opens your heart, it opens your mind, and you see or hear the promise of God present in your life. God does that. He, he, he has a plan always to restore you. He always has a plan to redeem you. And his plan in this story is Gideon. So the angel of the Lord finds Gideon. And he approaches Gideon. Says, hey, uh, God's going to use you. And Gideon's response is this. Um, uh, me? <laughs> you see, I'm, I'm from the lowest tribe, the least tribe. Even in my own family, I'm kind of the runt of the litter, Right? Some of you know this story. This text, going down that way, my home pastor did my ordination over, uh, well, coming up on 14, uh, 13 years ago, and he used this text, right? Just, he said, just to keep you humble, David. Remember, you're nobody from nowhere. Remember where you came from. You're, you, you don't come from a family that has a long line of pastors. You don't come from... In fact, the town you grew up in is referred to by the locals as busted stick. Yeah, broken arrow, busted stick, okay? You don't come from anywhere. Your family, I mean, you're the only kid, the only boy. You're nothing. Some of you probably have been told that. Some of you have been told by parents or teachers. Some of you have been told by, by neighbors. Some of you have been told by the news or by society that you're nothing. They're wrong. You are an incredibly beautiful, wonderful work of God's creation. And God is going to use you no matter what. Gideon. Go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? God, I, I don't feel prepared. I don't feel experienced. I, I don't know enough. Go. Go with what you have. Go in the strength you have. Go with how I've raised you to this point. Go with whatever resources you already have at this point. Go. I'm sending you. I love that. What kind of confidence do I have to be able to do what I do? God sent me. What kind of confidence do you have to do what you do? Well, God's sending you. Sending you to your neighbors. Do you not realize that, that the co-workers that you have and your little dividers and all, I mean, God has sent you to them. The one that brings the smelly lunch, the one that, that constantly is playing their music too loud, uh, those people, yes, God has sent you. And your neighbor... Yep, God sent you. And your family, extended family, yep, God has sent you there. And this community, God has sent you. I'll be with you. And we'll do this together. I love this promise in 16. 
The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites together. We have nothing to fear, folks. The battle that wages out in front of us, it's not our own battle to fight. It's with God. So Gideon goes, well, now if I found favor in your eyes, <laughs> don't you love that, that almost humble but almost sarcastic uh, kind of comment? Now if I found favor, what do you mean found favor? I've already sent an angel to talk to you. I'm now speaking with you myself. What, do you, what more miraculous thing do you want? Well, if I could offer a sacrifice and you would accept it, then I would know that you really want me to be the guy. So God does that. He said, tell you what, what you need to do though is this. Step number one is you need to tear down your dad's idol and the altar. Oh, right? Have you ever had to confront your father, right? You have, your armpits sweat a little bit. You, you, you know, blood pressure kind of raises a little. You're sweaty, right? I, that is not, this is not a good thing, right? Some, you, you right, might have mom kind of in the background, right, to kind of moral support and kind of, you know, pinch hit if she needs to step in, right? So to confront your father, this is, this is a tough thing. And you know what Gideon's response is? He's scared, <laughs> right? No, God, I know, I know you're with me. I know we're going to do the battle, but I tell you what, I'll tear down my dad's altar, the Asherah pole, and I'll build a new one, but I'm going to do it at night. Because it says in Scripture that he was afraid of his family. He was afraid of the Israelites. And you just go, oh, Gideon, <laughs> how much more special do you need to know that you are? It's human nature. So he tears down the altar, and he tears down the Asherah pole, and he builds up a new one. And right in the morning, then he goes, yep, see? The community knew that, oh, that wasn't there last night. Who did it? And they send out search parties, right? And they find out the information. And all of a sudden, we get this. Well, it was Gideon, son of Joash. And to show you just how far Israel has fallen from God, they go to Joash and say, we demand blood from your son. Isn't that what sin does? It has a tendency to demand that the gods be appeased, that there be a sacrifice. I hope that you're hearing that when Jesus said, I am the final lamb, the final sacrifice, there isn't another sacrifice to be made. And so that sacrifice, right, they demand that Gideon, and, and, and Joash steps up and he goes, no, it's not going to happen. So Gideon says, okay, if we're going to do this fight, if we're going to do this battle, I'd like another sign. And you kind of start to go, Gideon, dude, you've been selected, you've been sent, he accepted your sacrifice, how much more do you want? And again, I've shared this during our series on miraculous, I think when we see a little bit of the miraculous, we want more of it, that's our human nature. And so he asked God, he says, tell you what, can you, can you make it so, I'm going to put a fleece outside the tent, can you make it so that there is dew on the fleece and no dew on the grass? All right, so the next day, Gideon gets up, yep, there's dew on the fleece and none on the grass. 
And, and you'd go, see, Gideon, here's another miracle. Only God could do this. And he goes, tell you what, God, uh, just one more. Can you make the grass wet and the fleece dry? And so God acquiesces. He does it again. And the next day, and then Gideon, you kind of go, Gideon goes, well, you know, I guess we got to do this thing. I, I sometimes wonder if we test God, hoping that God somehow fails, and then I've got an excuse not to follow God. I don't know that that's where Gideon was, but I sometimes wonder if that's where he was. Let me, let me test God just a little bit, and if he doesn't, well, then I guess he's not really there. But finally, Gideon gets the answer he needs. He understands that God is with him. And so he gathers up the army. All right, we're going to attack Midian. <laughs> 32,000 soldiers show up for the call, right? 32,000, God goes, no, 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 you, you got too many soldiers. And you can picture Gideon going, wait a minute, I, you said go in the strength that we have. I got 32,000 guys, let's go get them. And he goes, no, 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 there's too many because, see, I know you. You see, if you take that many soldiers, you're going to think you all won the battle. So make an announcement. Tell anybody that's afraid they can go home. Right? 20,000 leave. 22,000 leave. Another 10,000. Gideon goes, hey, great, awesome, let's go with this 10,000. And God goes, no, 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 you still have too many soldiers and so here's the test. God puts the soldiers to a test. He says, take them down to the water. And the guys that, that went up to the water on their hands and knees and, and simply just bent their heads down and drank from the water, God says, dismiss them. But those that went down to the water, dipped their hands in and brought the water to their mouths, those whose heads were up, who had their heads about them, that were observant, who were able, who were not totally committed into the water, those that were aware of the situation, God said, those, that's who I can use. And so God takes 300. Now you'd think, right, uh, that Gideon's going, okay, I've seen the miracles, I've seen all this is happening, but I think when it gets down to 300, he still has this little bit of human reaction of going, I don't know how we're going to do this with 300. <laughs> and so God says one more time, take a buddy, go down to the camp, and listen, and I guarantee what you hear will convince you it's going to be okay. And so they go down and they hear two soldiers. One says, I, had a, I saw this vision, had this dream where a, a barley loaf came rolling in from the mountains, squashed the tent. The other guy goes, well, that can only be Gideon, son of Joash. He's a mighty warrior. And so God has given us into Israel's hands. And Gideon gets it, right? So he leaves, he goes back, and he says, all right, 300, here we go. I want you to take a clay pot, put, a, put a, uh, a torch in it. I want you to carry that clay pot, and with the other hand, I want you to have a trumpet. And do what I do. And so they divide into uh, groups of 100, three groups. They surround the camp, and Gideon yells out, for God and for, Vi and, and for Gideon. And he smashes the pot, right? And so he picks up the, the flaming torch, so it looks like there's a whole lot more people. They blow the trumpets, and all the other groups do that. And here's the miracle. God, God takes the Midian's own swords and they kill each other.
He totally brings about the battle win by having the Midianites kill each other. I often think that that's how, that's how it is, right? I, I see sin and groups of people who congregate and gather and they just inflame and they feed and they feast off of each other and they, they, they use gossip and innuendo and all of these kinds of things and, and it just grows and builds and builds and builds until boom, it just falls apart. But they, they do damage. I mean, there's no doubt, they do damage. But if God is for us, Who can be against us? Nothing. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. As Gideon made that sacrifice to God, it was acceptable and pleasing. You see, that's... That's how God works. He takes the incredible. He takes the way of doing things that, that you and I don't think of, and he says, watch how I'm going to make it right. He did it with Jesus. Isaiah 53 tells us there was nothing about him that we should adore him. He wasn't some good-looking, six-two, broad-shouldered, studly of a looking guy. I mean, he was probably scrawny. There's nothing about Jesus that when people looked at, you would go, oh, the Savior of the world. Where? A carpenter's son? Born in a lowly manger? I mean, who does God use? He uses those he chooses. An old pastor friend of mine reminds me all the time, David, God does not call the qualified. Like you've got to be at some level before God uses you. No, he qualifies the called. Meaning he betters you and he equips you and he makes you and he forms you into the servant he would have you be. And that is incredible because as I look out this morning and I see face after face after face of his creation, people that God has gathered together in this place, I have no doubt that God has plans to use you. I know that he has been using you. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see the miraculous things that God does in and through little old you. Because if God can take a kid from Busted Stick, Oklahoma, and make him a preacher, there's no telling what God can do with you. By His grace, I pray that you live courageously and that you go with him where he is sending you. Amen. And now may this word of the Lord truly, truly strengthen your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until his return to take us all home.